Hello and welcome to another episode of Covenant and Conversation with me, Rabbi Sachs. In each new episode, we'll explore a Jewish idea from the Hebrew Bible based on the Torah reading of the week. Chukot, losing Miriam. It's a scene that still has the power to shock and disturb. The people complain. There's no water. It's an old complaint and a predictable one. That's what happens in a desert. Yet Moses should have been able to handle it with ease. He'd been through far tougher challenges in his time. Yet suddenly at Maimuriva, the waters of contention, he exploded into vituperative anger. Listen, you rebels, shall we bring you water out of this rock? Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. In past essays, I've argued that Moses didn't sin. It was simply that he was the right leader for the generation that left Egypt, but not the right leader for their children who would cross the Jordan and engage in conquering a land and building a society. The fact that he wasn't permitted to lead the next generation wasn't a failure. It was just an inevitability. As a group of slaves facing freedom, a new relationship with God and a difficult journey physically and spiritually, the children needed a strong leader capable of contending with them and with God. But as builders of a new society, they needed a leader who wouldn't do the work for them, but would instead inspire them to do it for themselves. The face of Moses was like the sun, says the Talmud, the face of Joshua like the moon. The difference is that sunlight is so strong it leaves no work for a candle to do, whereas a candle can illuminate when the only other source of light is the moon. Joshua empowered his generation more than a figure as strong as Moses could ever have done. But there's another question altogether about the episode we read this week. What made this trial different? Why did Moses momentarily lose control? Why then and why there? He'd faced just this challenge before. The Torah mentions two previous episodes. One took place at Marah. Almost immediately after the division of the Red Sea, the people found water, but it was bitter. Moses prayed to God and... God showed him how to sweeten the water. The second occurred at Rafidim a little while later. This time there was no water at all. Moses rebuked the people. He turned to God and said, what am I to do with this people? God then told him to go to a rock at Chorev, take his staff and hit the rock. Moses did so and water came out. There was drama, tension, but nothing like the emotional distress evident in this week's Parsha of Chukat. Surely Moses, by now almost 40 years older, with a generation of experience behind him, should have coped with this challenge without drama. He had been there before. The text gives us a clue, but in so understated a way that we can easily miss it. This is how the chapter begins. In the first month, the whole Israelite community had arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community. Many commentators see the connection between this and what follows in terms of the sudden loss of water after the death of Miriam. Tradition tells of a miraculous well that accompanied the Israelites during Miriam's lifetime in her merit, and when she died, the water ceased. There is, though, another way of reading the connection. Moses lost control because his sister Miriam had just died. 
He was in mourning for his eldest sibling. It's hard to lose a parent, but in some ways it's even harder to lose a brother or sister. They are your generation. You feel the angel of death come suddenly close. You face your own mortality. Miriam was more than a sister to Moses. She was the one who, while still a child, followed the course of the wicker basket holding her baby brother as it drifted down the Nile. She had the courage and ingenuity to approach Pharaoh's daughter and suggest that she employ a Hebrew nurse for the child, thus ensuring that Moses would grow up knowing his family, his people and his identity. In a truly remarkable passage, the sages say that Miriam persuaded her father Amram, the leading scholar of his generation, to annul his decree that Hebrew husbands should divorce their wives and have no more children because there was a 50% chance that any child born would be killed. Your decree, said Miriam, is worse than Pharaoh's. He only decreed against the males. Yours applies to females also. He intended to rob children of life in this world. You would deny them even life in the world to come. Amram admitted her superior logic. Husbands and wives were reunited. Yocheved became pregnant and Moses was born. Note that this midrash told by the sages unambiguously implies that a six-year-old girl had more faith and wisdom than the leading rabbi of her generation. Moses surely knew what he owed his elder sister. According to the Midrash, without her he wouldn't have been born. According to the plain sense of the text, he wouldn't have grown up knowing who his true parents were and to which people he belonged. Though they'd been separated during his years of exile in Midian, once he returned, Miriam had accompanied him throughout his mission. She led the women in song at the Red Sea. The one episode that seems to cast her in a negative light when she began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife was interpreted more positively by the sages. They said she was critical of Moses for breaking off marital relations with his wife Zipporah. He'd done so because he needed to be in a state of readiness for divine communication at any time. Miriam felt Zipporah's plight and sense of abandonment besides which she and Aaron had also received divine communication, but they had not been commanded to be celibate. She may have been wrong, suggested the sages, but not maliciously so. She spoke not out of jealousy of her brother, but out of sympathy for her sister-in-law. So it wasn't simply the Israelites' demand for water that led Moses to lose control of his emotions, but rather his own deep grief. The Israelites may have lost their water, but Moses had lost his sister, who had watched over him as a child, guided his development, supported him throughout the years, and helped him carry the burden of leadership in her role as leader of the women. It's a moment that reminds us of the words from the book of Judges said by Israel's chief of staff, Barak, to its judge and leader, Deborah. He said to her, if you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I can't go. The relationship between Barak and Deborah was much less close than that between Moshe and Miriam. Yet Barak acknowledged his dependence on a wise and courageous woman. Can Moses have felt less? Bereavement leaves us deeply vulnerable. In the midst of loss, we can find it hard to control our emotions. We make mistakes. 
We act rashly, we suffer from a momentary lack of judgment. These are common symptoms even for ordinary humans like us. In Moses' case, however, there was an additional factor. He was a prophet, and grief can eclipse the prophetic spirit. Maimonides answers the well-known question as to why Jacob, a prophet, didn't know that his son Joseph was still alive with the simplest possible answer. Grief banishes prophecy. For 22 years, mourning his missing son, Jacob couldn't receive the divine word. Moses, greatest of all the prophets, remained in touch with God. It was God, after all, who told him to speak to the rock. But somehow the message didn't penetrate his consciousness fully. That was the effect of grief. So the details are in truth secondary to the human drama played out that day. Yes, Moses did things he might not have done and should not have done. He struck the rock, said we instead of God, lost his temper with the people. But the real story is about Moses, the human being, in an onslaught of grief, vulnerable, exposed, caught in a vortex of emotions, suddenly bereft of the sisterly presence that had been the most important continuing base note of his life. Miriam had been the precociously wise and plucky child who'd taken control of the situation when the life of her three-month-old brother lay in the balance, undaunted either by an Egyptian princess or a rabbi father. She had led the Israelite women in song, sympathised with her sister-in-law when she saw the price she paid for being the wife of a leader. The Midrash speaks of her as the woman in whose merit the people had water in a parched land. In Moses' anguish at the rock, we sense the loss of the elder sister, without whom he felt bereft and alone. The story of the moment Moses lost his confidence and calm is ultimately less about leadership and crisis than about a great Jewish woman, Miriam, appreciated fully, only when she was no longer there. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening. You can download a written version of my commentary and explore all my additional content by visiting www.rabbisax.org. This year, we also have an accompanying family edition of Covenant and Conversation aimed at connecting children and teenagers with these ideas and thoughts. For a family edition discussion sheet on this week's parasha, please go to www.rabbisax.org/cc/family-edition.